0: The Failure Hypothesis is a Maledro Digital production. If you're interested in making business content with interest or want to tell your story in a future episode, you can contact us at miledrodigital.com.
1: My name is Vivian Chan, and you're listening to The Failure Hypothesis. Over the course of this podcast series, I'm going to be talking to some of the most interesting leaders from all around the world, from Brazil to the UK, from India to America, all about failure. We'll be testing the simple hypothesis that radical honesty about failure is the secret to success, but is it really that simple? Sometimes is it better to just keep moving forward? Why can't we just think like a rocket scientist when it comes to failure? To help us find out the answer to these questions and more, we've assembled a dream team of guests that includes the chief scientist of a global tech company, the president of a major record label, a private equity titan, and a Webby Award winning podcaster. For new listeners who want to learn more about the failure hypothesis and the timeless mission to get the leaders of today and tomorrow, all talking more openly about failure, please check out episode one, wherever you get your podcasts. My guest today is Chris Hitchens, UK managing partner of Ketten Law, one of America's top law firms. Ketten is still relatively new to the UK market, but under Chris's leadership, is firmly establishing itself as a force to be reckoned with within the extremely competitive London and UK market. Alongside his leadership responsibilities, Chris has a thriving personal practice, which combines his extensive experience in employment and corporate law with a focus on advising businesses on how to grow enhance their reputation, and improve their culture. Chris has a CV you might expect from a high-powered city lawyer. Starting at the blue-blooded Slaughter and May, Chris has worked for a collection of prestigious law firms with the sterling reputations, including Latham and Watkins, Lewis Silken, and Morgan Lewis. Chris has been recognized as a leading individual and is filled by Chambers UK and The Legal 500. But behind the CV is something less expected, a disarmingly frank and plain speaking lawyer who, as they might say in American politics, you can imagine yourself having a beer with. (laughs) He's also the type of person you turn to in a crisis or when complexity threatens to overwhelm. That's exactly why clients from international charities to multi-billion dollar asset managers and from exclusive hotels to tech startups rate him so highly. Welcome. I think today is going to be a very interesting day to both me to learn a little bit more about yourself Mm -hmm. and for you to share uh, your story and your journey some successes, but I really want to dig into the failures.
2: Plenty of those to choose from, so uh, thank you for having me. Thank you for the opportunity, they eh?
1: Definitely. Um, the floor is over to you. Where do you want to start?
2: Um, I will start, I think I will set the scene as to what it means to be a, a, a lawyer in the city of London. So, And it's changed massively. So I started in 1997. Mm-hmm. As you say, started at Slaughter and May. At the time, and it still is probably, Slaughter and May used to market itself as the city law firm. It's a very competitive market. Everybody knows Slaughter and May is a blue-blooded firm. Very, very good at what they do. I was very lucky to get a job there. I um, didn't have many choices of jobs, but it doesn't matter because the one that you get is the one that people remember. I didn't have any other options in London as it happened.
1: Was that a grad position? Um,
2: yeah, it was out of, out of law school. So you apply, it's very competitive out of law school. Um, I had a job from, uh, an offer from Eversheds in Birmingham. I'm from Birmingham. A lot of people from my school stayed in Birmingham at the time and uh, Eversheds was a was a good fit for that. Slaughter and May was my only London option. Mm. Um and uh, my grandfather, who had once had a meeting at Slaughter May, basically said, You'd be mad not to come to London and work for Slaughter May. So I didn't really give it much more thought than that. Really, any advice was, was good advice. So here I am and stayed down here. So, you know, you start, you start at Slaughter May, and it was a very um, intimidating atmosphere because people are very good at what they do. Mm-hmm. And I was so green, so naive. I hadn't really given given the practice of law much thought it was just probably just a bit of a assumption that you come out of uh, come out of a private school go to university and you feel like it's you know it's a natural progression but you suddenly realize that i'm out of my depth here <laughs> people here are very good at what they do and i do not understand the workings of the city and i don't really know how i've got this job so it was it was quite intimidating um, and stressful and long hours as a result, but yeah. hindsight loved it. Absolutely loved it. So happy that I I've been there. Um, but the the changing point for me was when I had an opportunity to do a a, a seat as part of my training in Hong Kong. I spent six months with uh, one of my best mates who was also a trainee with me. Both got the nods to go to Hong Kong at the same time, coincided with one of my. School friends and his firm. He was out in Hong Kong, and a bunch of other people we we knew very well. So it was from a social perspective. It was It was, great. <laughs> it was, it was amazing. It was, it was the hardest I had worked in my um, time there, but the social scene was was fantastic. Was it because well.
1: the working culture was different?
2: The working culture was different. The, the the main thing for me was it was a smaller office, and it was rather than being part of I don't know what size Slaughter's was at the time, five hundred, six hundred people. You are a small cog in a massive machine, and you you get on and do your job extremely well and woe betide you if you don't. Um, Whereas there, there were maybe 30 people or so, and it was just roll your sleeves up. But a real feel of, well, we're all in this together. So I much preferred that environment. So when I came back to London and I qualified there and stayed there for another year, I... I guess I felt that um, there was something that I wasn't wasn't resonating with me because I'm still feeling very very out of my depth. So um, so at that time in 2000, US law firms were starting to open up in in London, and of course they could pay well double almost at the time. And there's a lot of lawyers were starting to look around. Some went into recruitment. Um, because they felt that um, they had a bit more control, a bit more reward over um, bringing people in. Uh, And quite a few went to US law firms, and I was no different. I had a a, uh, a look around at some US law firms, and I was very attracted to Latham and Watkins, who at the time, I was lawyer number 32 in London. But what won me over there was um, I was interviewed by... My peers and in a lawyer of 30 something off, uh, 30 something uh, people in the in the office i would have met 10 12 of them as part of that interview process which just was a light bulb moment for me and i just thought that that made a lot of sense because you're taking people at a stage in their career when they've got the most energy that they really want to sell it, and they really want you to come in, and you could see that they're like you. They've had the same journey, the background, and oh yeah, I was a bit worried about that, but it's not like that. It's, yeah, yeah,
0: It's yeah, fine, yeah.
2: it's fine. Yeah. Actually, it's a bit easier. I <laughs> to <laughs> get paid more. It's a bit easier. Cool. And, and that that idea just won me over. And, and actually, even even in the eight years that I was there, even though it grew to something like 300 lawyers in london by the time i left and became an international success which which was fortunate for me because the reason why i joined was to be part of something that i could input into the growth so i so i had eight years at latham and the career path for a lawyer is you're a trainee for two years you qualify as a lawyer and then nothing for six seven eight nine ten years Mm. so 25 years ago you could make partner within six years of uh, qualifying that's changed these days it's more like 10 or 11 or or 12 but it was you always knew if you didn't make partner by seven or eight years then you've been overlooked and if you were overlooked some firms would say well you should keep on looking but somewhere else Mm -hmm. off you go um or you might have some sort of uh two-year chance to to make partners so and all your peers from law school are getting partnerships or or in the running or they've moved firms in order to get partnership or some haven't had to move firms because they're stellar and they can make for partner at that firm you if you don't make partner and you're in a cohort of 30 to 50 lawyers in the class of 96 at Chester Law School then you know amongst your peers you want to be making partner around the same time you don't want to be the outlier so Mm -hmm. So you feel that external pressure, peer pressure. Um, and also, in my case, I hadn't, I suppose, really thought about it deeply enough other than to think it was some sort of natural progression that would happen because been to a, uh, a public school, independent school in, in Birmingham. I had gone to sort of made them well in my um, public exams. So, of course, I would make partner, you know, yeah. And they don't. they don't focus on because there was no career progression for eight years. You were just a qualified lawyer. You you were never benchmarked against. Would you ultimately be a partner or not? Now privately, people might have made their minds up eight years ago and not told you. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't really in their interest to tell you. You're not really. Yeah, because they want material. you to continue <laughs> <you> working for <laughs> them. Exactly, <They laughs> want to get the money's worth, and pound of flesh along the way. So there is that culture, I think, within law of just telling people, you're doing a good job, you're doing a good job, and not actually um, Being telling honest them about. The, tell them the truth yeah. about it. And then that can cause problems on the way out. So so for me, yeah, I suppose my reviews were 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 good, but it was never focused on promotion, because promotion was always, you know, we'll talk about promotion in six when years' hit, time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when they did talk about promotion six years' time, um, I wasn't going to get made a partner, um, but I was given some other promotion which was a sort of a waiting room in in those days of two years another title but you you can be like an interim or yeah deputy uh, or yeah something. they call yeah, it okay. uh, it means different things at different firms so it's a bit unfair to use it as a label but it's uh, they call it council off council which in those days was you don't have the business case to be made partner um so Spend two years build a business case. work But very what hard.
1: defines a business case? Well, see, to make partner.
2: Um, I know it now, but I didn't know it then. Okay. They they used to say you'll know it when you see it. Well, I don't know it. I'm uh, not seeing it. So, <laughs> <laughs> <It's very laughs> what am subjective, I No. Yeah, but then you said, "Well, you've got to behave like a partner." Wasn't? is that? Just what does that mean? Walk you dress and, like one. You uh, got a... <laughs> to stamp around in uh, heavy shoes. I don't. It's. Silly. Um, it was. I, it, it's obvious to me now. You would work out the the financial metrics of the firm how much the firm is trying to make per lawyer that is there whether the work that you do will support the rates that they need to charge whether it's critical for the growth of a particular client or particular practice Mm -hmm. is it scalable are you are you a blockage for somebody else because you're a good person but you haven't got the skills to develop it anymore but she's like Stella and she's two years behind you so actually you move away and mm-hmm. she should come through so it's a combination of things but I didn't wasn't mature enough to to understand it and didn't really think it through um from a economics and a business perspective yeah. so I think I were you
1: f- like when they told you oh not right now but we'll move you to council Yeah. How
2: did you feel? Uh, I was sitting in a car park in um, Ballymena with my wife on a typically uh, rainy Northern Irish day. And I, yeah, I was, I think I was embarrassed. Was on speakerphone or I don't think, I don't think it was. That'd been a bit rude. Um, I was embarrassed in front of her because I'd always probably uh, implied that, you know, I'll be able to do this and, and, you know, we'll all be fine financially and blah, blah, blah. So... I was probably I was embarrassed in front of her. I was um I was upset, um, but indignant angry, you know, that mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm. I'll show them sort of thing, mm-hmm. rather than mm-hmm. what exactly is it that they want you to do and how would they like you to react? Because yeah. actually that message is somebody said congratulations to me a week later and I thought, Oh, hm, You know, that's a bit you know, yeah. whatever. But she was she meant it. It was a promotion and, and I'd seen it as a snap It, in the wasn't, face, it wasn't it was a success. It wasn't yeah. a success it that was, you wasn't expected. What I yeah, and, 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 and it almost in you know, a I expected it because um I've you know almost felt it was not an entitlement or whatever, but I just I hadn't queried that it wouldn't happen. So mm-hmm. um whereas the proper reaction is, okay, well now what do I need to do to demonstrate a business case and develop mm-hmm. my develop my business and who's going to support me to do that because of a lot of people there who would have done mm-hmm. but um i took the news in a sort of petulant and uh bearing a grudge way and sort of carried it around with me for six months until it <laughs> pissed people off i think
1: <laughs> <laughs> but you said that the business case was very subjective
2: yeah, but it's developing all the time. So mm. I so I started as a corporate lawyer there, and I changed to become an employment lawyer, and that it was a wonderful opportunity that wouldn't have been afforded to me somewhere else. So mm. so I benefited from that, and uh, and very grateful that they had that opportunity and they supported me to do that. So um, as a result, it then put me in a different pool from. I wouldn't have succeeded as a corporate lawyer and made partner as a corporate lawyer. I knew that at the time because I wasn't good enough at the corporate law. Yeah. Um, I didn't understand the things I needed to understand and my peers there were a lot better than me. Mm-hmm. So, partly defensively, but partly um, because of, um, I was more. I gravitated more to the subject matter, I, I chose to do employment law. So, but then that puts me in a different, pathway because firms not done employment law before so how do we how do we make someone partner in a business area that's not core to what we do doesn't make as much money um do we even want to be doing it we're only doing it because we wanted to keep this guy happy so um and i yeah, i didn't have the experience to be able to see it in those terms i just felt that well why shouldn't i be
1: And I guess those six months was what you saw as a failure, the whole experience as a failure. Yeah. you started pivoting and realising. Well,
2: yeah, absolutely. And it wasn't. Well, In really Well, I'd say it wasn't. I mean, that's self-preservationist. It's, um, I didn't make partner. Would I have made partner if I'd have stuck around? Don't think so. Um, Because... Would
1: you want to make partner in corporate law?
2: um, Not in corporate, no. As... I was I was doing something slightly different at the time, so um, there was a lady um, coming up behind me who was who was better at doing the area that I was trying to make partner in than I uh, was or would have been. So um, so they so they made the right business choice, but would there have been room for two of us.
1: Yeah, and if if we're circling back to the what you thought was a failure moment, which in hindsight really isn't, but it, you enabled. The flexibility to then start to um, carve yourself to be the maverick in Latham to actually start to look at Top Gun maverick, well, not an idiot <laughs> making
2: that comparison. <laughs> not it's intentional, lot, right? Not the, intentional. They were like, oh, well, I for- don't know
1: if that's what we wanted to do, right?
2: And yeah. Well, I, I was um, when I decided that I had to leave Latham because um, I didn't feel that the Two-year path or then eighteen-month path that I was on would, I didn't feel that at the end of that I would necessarily get made a partner. Okay, um, right. At what point did
1: you
2: know? Somebody said to me, so they told me six months before I was uh, made counsel, you're going to be made counsel. Like, so six months of kicking the cat, and then and then on January the first you're now counsel. Yes, I know. <laughs> 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 Have to rub it in, um, and. Somebody said to me after about three months, she said, look, I sit on the panel of people who get promoted from council to partner and just so you know, the, the minimum requirement is 2,100 hours, which uh, translates to whatever, 10, 11, 12 hours chargeable a day. And um, so you need to be in that ballpark in order to not just get bounced out of the process. Uh, and that was great advice because... It's
1: clarity. It's clarity yeah.
2: and... and in what I was doing, it was quite hard, even with the best one in the world, to find those hours. Mm-hmm. And that was the business case. It wasn't work-shy, lack of willingness to knuckle down and do those hours. I can't physically find files that I can charge X hundred pounds an hour on, to that extent mm-hmm. um, continually. Even if I can, I can't find enough for somebody else to do the same. So i can't grow it to get 4200 hours 6300 hours. Whatever i can't I, so, so it wasn't there so so i was in a rare moment of maturity but because of that clarity i suppose i figured out look it's not going to happen so um i felt good about being in control of the next opportunity mm-hmm. so um i got a job as a, a partner at morgan lewis so making partner from not being a partner was um, was quite hard mm-hmm. um, but um, the transition on paper looked wonderful because it had it had a real theme and, and story to it that I could sell to myself which I think was important mm-hmm. because I think you continually particularly when you get to middle age you're very revisionist in um, well I did this because of this I did this because of this did you really Did you? Or are you just now drawing a theme to justify why you've been booted from that firm and you didn't make it at this one and actually people are quite glad that you left? (laughs) Um, And the theme was that at Latham there were only a handful of employment lawyers globally. It was an add-on to a very successful firm doing other things. At Morgan Lewis it was a uh, market-leading standalone practice in its own right, in the US. So I was joining a firm where what I did was internationally recognised as what part of what the firm did. Not exclusively yeah. that, but it's... And, it, and even now, it's still, you know, number one ranked in the US for, for employment law. So what particularly attracted to me uh, to, to the firm, very charismatic other uh, partner who I'd met at a training event a few years uh, back uh, and I, I, I gravitated towards him, but it was a small office. I was lawyer number thirty-two again. Mm-hmm. And I thought there's a perfect symmetry to that. And you know, if we can grow this to two hundred ninety-five lawyers, the same as Latham, then then this is great. And that resonated with them. It resonated with me. And uh... so anyway, at, at my my time in Morgan Lewis, I joined as a new partner, and I had deep down always since my six month stint in Hong Kong at, at Slaughter's, I. Had realised that a small firm environment where you're looking to try and grow something with a point and a purpose. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's great to be at the 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 stellar name, the big name, the the top of the tree, the best. You get called up to play for Manchester United or Manchester City or Liverpool, then you know there ain't no way down uh, up from there. That's it. You've got to hold on. If you don't win, it's it's failure. Yeah, I don't feel comfortable in those environments because for various reasons I think um, it's hard work (laughs) I don't like I don't like like the the uh, the sacrifice that comes with it the the family sacrifice the uh, the work-life dynamic Um, I think you have to be quite um, focused and driven but your family dynamic has to support that and has to be very open that that's what you're going to do and i didn't want that so um um, i haven't sought that out but um i'm very attracted to the team that's in the middle of the of the league that can point to success and say well look we're now top five um and that effort has come from all of us because we've collectively elevated it to something that it couldn't have been on its own and 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 i think a lot of people are attracted to that idea i'll say to people when they join here it could all be bullshit you join here and with we're, we're selling this growth story selling this opportunity and you think well oh, that's great because i didn't get that at my old firm. and you're asking my advice I mean, i've only just qualified why do you want to know my advice well there's things that you might do at your firm that you just think of second nature that we don't do why aren't we doing it um it might it might be bullshit because it might not it might not take off to the degree that i want it to and uh, our firm would like it to, mm-hmm. um, but that's what drives us to succeed. So, um, so this
1: sounds know. like great series of success stories, like on CV paper.
2: Well, on CV paper, it's all revisionist. Well, uh, so at Morgan Lewis, I became the the other partner who I uh, had said gravitated to was. Um, he left about a year after I joined, but culturally, the environment then was very very challenging it was um, a lot of people in London who didn't have enough work uh, Mm -hmm. for themselves Mm -hmm. in an environment where if you didn't have a lot of work you were a failure because you hadn't generated it and of course I had joined um, I thought I joined to become the second partner in the in the team to help grow the team take it to the next level that wasn't the narrative that had been spun about me before I joined um there was somebody in the team who I knew um who had been told I was joining to do an area of work that wouldn't uh, challenge her progression um but I did exactly the same work as she did and she knew that and I knew that and I had a conversation well we do the same work <laughs> but that wasn't what she'd been told um so she was um uh, uh, missold um why I was there, and that caused a cultural dynamic um which needn't have happened mm-hmm. um and the amount of work that I was um, going to bring with me um had been missold internally as well so uh, so the expectations on me were a lot higher than um, I had well, on myself, t- and what was realistic. <laughs> but you already sounds like
1: you already have really high expectations of yourself. Well,
2: right? I, again, into- I hadn't, I hadn't clocked the common theme that this is said to me at Morgan Lewis. Somebody said, "Look, if you're making the money, they leave you the f alone," and that that's what it's all about in, in in the business of law is that you've got to be making, you've got to find ways to make money mm-hmm. um, at at the right price points with the right cost base, and etc. And uh, I still had to clock that. And um, when I wasn't bringing in enough work, it became quite culturally quite difficult. Um, there were, it wasn't a happy environment anyway. There were lots of uh, you know, conversations behind closed doors, people crying regularly. I saw my role as being this cultural savior because I, I like teams, I like growing teams, I want to have open conversations and i found myself being drawn towards conversations behind closed doors and it was just it became um quite toxic and uh, anyway it was all um didn't have the the maturity to really um address what was going on that 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 i would hopefully now have ultimately the other partner uh left and i became the head of the group so so now on paper look look at this this is amazing this makes a, a lot of sense but from, from there on, I, I sort of I fluffed my lines, really, because I was 35, 36, head of the, the London employment team, um, and we brought in uh, another partner who was more senior than me, and I said to the guys in the States, I'm assuming you would like him to head the team because he's he's more seen he has more business so starting the penny was starting to drop that actually Mm -hmm. you need to have business in order to (laughs) to walk the walk Uh, and they said no we'd like you to do it I thought oh okay Uh, so so I didn't so I focused really on on the cultural side to the detriment of of what was really needed to be done and it became even more toxic and uh, the environment became even more Destabilizing under my leadership, um, because what the firm should have said was actually the other guy should be the, the head of the group, and I I think would have been delighted with that because I would have then understood my role was to knock down and make money and uh, keep my nose clean. So I misread the tea leaves, and I ultimately it became s- such a difficult environment on a daily basis that. Um, Nobody really wanted to, to go into the office. Um, we ended up, um, you know, not people weren't really talking to each other. They'd have team meetings. They'd be staring at the floor. It was just toe-curling. It was horrible. Um, but that was on my watch. So ultimately, I was responsible for that failure. Um, I went to a, a partner's conference in 2010. Uh, and on the way to the bathroom... I um, blacked out and hit my head oh, wow. um, okay. and had a brain hemorrhage. Um, and that put me out of action for six, seven months. Um, and when I came back from that,
1: was uh, that... Do you know why you blacked out? Or was it from I do. As, as five...
2: of last week, this was 12 years ago, as of last week, I do. Oh. Okay. But um, for the last 12 years, despite all of the investigations, I didn't and at the time i felt very much uh that the environment that i was in the stress that i was yep. putting myself under because i hadn't managed the the team in the way that i felt that you know this was my calling in life i felt that that contributed because they, all, after all the tests they just they didn't get to the bottom of I blacked out. the brain hemorrhage was because it hit, it hit my head on the floor yep. um uh now a bit deaf and can't smell and um etc cetera, etc. Cetera. But uh, the blacking out they didn't didn't get to the bottom of, but um I now know. <laughs> and it's linked the bathroom is a common theme.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well now you've got answers, right? Yeah, 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 it was
2: great when it happened. Well it wasn't great for the people around me uh yeah. last week, but um but um, anyway.
1: But then then you actually was out of action for six or seven
2: months. Uh, yeah. So the fir- and the first week I was the first full week I was back. I had my appraisal, and the first thing they said to me was, "Your hours are low." Uh, Excuse me, i haven't been here. Uh, odd. And 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 the penny the penny dropped. Then like, ah, oh, okay, you don't want me here anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, that was a real. Uh, it's right it's right now the trouble is when you have a brain hemorrhage um I'm talking generalization when i had a brain hemorrhage it affected my frontal lobe and the frontal lobe controls emotion it controls um uh rational rationalization mm-hmm. um you can't be empathetic mm-hmm. you misread situations you get very angry you don't handle stress very well mm-hmm. um and um you generally become a very unpleasant person to come around but you genuinely i genuinely believe that what was happening and my reaction to the situation was the right one because my instinct as an employment lawyer is to to read that situation and advise on it couldn't do that anymore couldn't advise without getting it getting the situation wrong not getting the law wrong just getting the situation wrong including with respect to my own career so all of the politics that I was in and trying to badly manage you'd be out for seven months you've you can't just rock up and uh, and then expect the politics not to have shifted mm-hmm. in, in a different direction so I, I did I realized that I had I had to leave mm-hmm. um, and I had to find something pretty quickly otherwise um, they'd be kicking me out so yeah.
1: um, were you stressed or relieved
2: uh, no I was just I was angry. I think I was angry that uh, the, 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 that the 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 conversation was in it was in code because because the the beauty of the condition that I had was that I was I had no filter so I was able to say things without it's a bit psychopathic I suppose but, but it was it you know you could say something uh, you didn't have to tread on eggshells anymore you could just say uh, for example, you could, you, you, in a performance review, you could say your performance isn't very good. You wouldn't have to, get, mm, it's a sugar coat. But you, could, you could say things. And um, I hadn't realized that at the time. But when I I moved firms to a wonderful uh, cultural environment, which was exactly what I needed, and for a time there, I retained that ability to be able to say something in a room of 20 or 30, which was, uh, I'd now call elephant in the room. Well, I haven't coined it. I'm not some... <laughs> um, People say elephant in the room, but I was able to say elephant in the room, call it out, without any fear of doing no, or or, 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 or that it might impact my career to say it. Yeah. Um and I used to say it and sort of like sit back and go Ooh, let's <laughs> see what see how that and I and I love that because it was refreshing because um and when when I started to it was like I used to think it was a superpower. So when that sort of waned and I started to become a bit more diplomatic and and, and then a bit more you know don't want to you know, um get people feeling uncomfortable um I also
1: use a very clear face yeah so, so i really lost i like. lost
2: it i'm trying to get it back again because the um because 2. it's healthy and they're coming back yeah to, normal, minus, normal. To, to the minus 2.0 <laughs> i um that uh, when i was told your hours are low and, and i figured out i need to leave i didn't I, I probably didn't react particularly well but i didn't um I knew I had to leave, but I knew I had to find a culture that was as stress-free as the practice of law could be, mm-hmm. um, and I found that.
1: I was going to ask: Is that possible? Um, uh, yeah,
2: it was, uh, the firm I went to, Lewis Silkin, was uh, was was and he is a wonderful uh, group of people. So it was, and because I hadn't started as an employment lawyer, I always felt in the back of my mind, employment lawyers are better than me. My wife's an employment lawyer. She qualified as an employment lawyer she's better than i am at employment law and she has done it from the junior age i hadn't so i was always trying to backfill that and always areas that i felt i had a blind spot so by going there 100 employment lawyers you learn through osmosis that somebody else is working on something oh i can okay i'm glad i've learned that now through you i haven't had to do it but i can see how that all works so that was tremendous learning experience for me and This you know surround yourself with people who are better than you but it's just it was exactly that these were these were talented practitioners who readily shared what they did for the common good you know making everybody better but culturally it was it was just the right environment for me to be able to rehabilitate um uh, the, the only pressure was was on my that I put on myself you know they wanted me to generate a certain amount um and what I could generate fitted within their their profit margin so it was all fine it was all yeah, it was all very fit. very good yeah it was it was great but I lost that superpower of um during the time I was there being able to be honest and call out the, the elephant in the culture was too nice I think because it just got better because it just got better, and I didn't want to i know because I then started to feel that if I did say something and it made people uncomfortable why like, well, why would you want to make people uncomfortable in an environment that people are very comfortable mm-hmm. so so I started to that started to empathy
1: came,
2: back. empathy came back
1: so it sounds like from a lot of your stories, influencing positive culture is very mm-hmm. important to you. Can you elaborate a little bit yeah about that?
2: sure thanks um yeah I think it is um, and I had a um had a light bulb moment a month or so ago when um, my, my wife's given me a box of things I need to sort out which are personal effects and what have you um, not getting divorced or dying or anything like that but it's was, it was old letters that I've um, I'd written I had a year off between school and university I was in South Africa and I wrote to my grandmother a lot mm. and I was flicking through one of them and, it, and I'd written at the age of 19 to her it's bizarre because it's never this emotionally open and a talking basis but I've obviously felt the need in the letter to put it down and saying, when I grow up I want to be in charge of a small I don't want to say use the word office but a small office environment that is looking to grow and I can influence its growth and I thought a bit odd I don't, I don't remember writing that and um, must have believed it at the time but that's exactly what I have sought through my Career move. I've been in the environments that are market leading, and it's tough. And I couldn't, I couldn't cope. I did eight, ten years in that environment, happy to work very long hours and hard, and and blah blah blah. So it's not so much as I couldn't cope, but I didn't want that environment. There's more to life, mm. to to me than that. But you could look at it in another way and go, well, actually, you can't influence that environment unless you're the highest biller you're working hundred hours harder than everyone else or you're bringing in millions of dollars more than somebody yeah. else yeah that only then normally in a law firm do you then get to dictate culture and make change and to get to that is extremely hard and I would not still have not uh, got to that level so um it's slightly self preservation is to put yourself in an environment where you can influence it where the bar is lower at the moment and then you raise the bar to a level with your lords and masters to the level that is the right level but you have to be ambitious and of course the ambition is to raise the bar as high as or higher than those other people but maybe don't tell them that yeah
1: and so now fast forward to current day present day
2: Mm. it
1: sounds like you are able to create that culture here
2: Uh, absolutely it's um it's a big part of what we're trying to achieve that it's such a challenging market. It's um, it's it's very difficult to recruit. It's very difficult to retain. It's very difficult to win clients. It's very difficult to differentiate or even to copy. It takes a lot of resource, a lot of time and effort. And um, it's hard enough, uh, as it is, doing it on your own when if people don't have that clarity of purpose of why they're here. So a big driver for me is everybody here understands what we're trying to achieve who we're trying to do it for and why and what their role is we've got 70 i say 73 we've got three joining on monday so let's call it 76 76 people now and everyone who joins on day one i will have the same uh, conversation with and look this is what you've told us you're here to do this is how your career path can map out mm-hmm. And this is what success represents to me, and to the people who hired you, and what you told us rep- success represented to you. So, if there's a disconnect, you know, we'll, we'll have that conversation as we go along. But let's let's not try and aim for something that you know you can't achieve, mm-hmm. and then you know, not make eye contact with me for the next two years, or um, if you feel that we've we're missing a trick and we can be more ambitious than we've laid out then tell us what you need if you need us to go and hire more people you need more resources over here you need better technology then please get that on the radar screen and we will make it happen it's the environment that you can come here you can change it by having a good idea and running with it and you may get pushback from the first person you speak to because it's not hasn't been done that way before you may get pushback from the second person you speak to because they think that it can't be done that way because somebody advised them a few years ago but nobody will mind you asking and nobody will bemoan you asking the third person and going oh it can be done well but i have to do it i'm not going to do it you can do it and and away you go and that taking those ideas that you've seen elsewhere because everyone is a lateral apart from the trainees who that's their first job everyone else is a been somewhere else. So they'll have push factors, but they'll have pull factors. The pull factors are the growth, the autonomy, the the ability to shape your career within the confines of what we do. Um, The push factors may be a toxic culture. It may be they couldn't have got promoted where they were because there was a pecking order. It may be because of um, some harassment or discrimination or, or, or something that wasn't quite right. But we can offer that safe environment with that clarity of purpose and you you've got the resources and the tools that uh it's tough but we will provide you with what you need and then you've got a long enough runway to go and to go and do it and continue to have that dialogue and i think that's that's quite that's what i wanted
1: what what do you think a failure means in terms of the legal industry
2: um i think that um there's a stigma attached to not um, achieving a partnership position or achieving a partnership position at a firm which isn't the firm that you started at or w- with the same the same sort of environment or reputation that the firm that you started at, um, which is not fair, um, but it, it, it certainly existed in, in my time. But, and I think for the people who move, because there's sort of two... You, you either qualify and make partner at the firm that you started at, and you never move, and you've only ever seen one working environment, and you subscribe to that as the only way to practice law, or you move. And if you move once, you may keep on moving. Mm-hmm. If you keep on moving, the stigma is, oh, he's a rolling stone, or she can't make partner here, so if the, if she hasn't made part of those three firms, then why should we hire her? Or she's not right for us because she gets restless or he's, uh, there must be something wrong with him. There's there's very much that you look at a CV and you're like, he's on his fifth law firm. So what's the story there? And people won't hire you. Uh, and it could have been the case that you developed late or you, uh, you just didn't find the culture that you were after or you didn't get the support or you suddenly have a client base that you didn't have five years ago. So, the whole host of reasons. So, um, there's moving firms or not getting promoted at a time that your peers are definitely throws a lot of questions, and people will perceive that that would be um, a failure, but it's difficult to justify
1: mm.
2: and holds you back.
1: Yeah. Well, can I. Um, share the hypothesis Mm. of our failure hypothesis podcast and see if you are a believer or a skeptic. So I'll read it out to you now. Our greatest failures are our most important experiments, yet emotion often prevents us from examining and learning from these unexpected outcomes. There is constant pressure to celebrate success and hide failure. However, if we practice radical honesty and have the strength to be vulnerable, then we can turn our failures into the secret of our success and help others do the same. Are you a believer or a skeptic?
2: I am a believer. Woohoo! Well, <laughs> <laughs> with, with some qualifications now. <laughs> I think that if you are too flippant about failure, you, you advertise the fact that you have failed, you fail to acknowledge that a bit of self-promotion um, can set the tone then if, if you if you give the impression that failure is acceptable or that you don't care or that you don't mind getting something wrong people aren't going to gravitate towards you as somebody who can be a leader mm-hmm. or who's somebody who um can be a safe pair of hands in what they do so i think for me revisionist history of of being able to look back and say well that point was a turning point i've learned from this i've learned from that everybody fails at something in some regard those who maybe lack the self-awareness or self-confidence to acknowledge it as a failure that suits them it works for them that's that's fine um if you are more self-aware and you can say well that didn't go according to plan or that you know was slightly embarrassing um, you, there's no doubt that you become more clear on what it is you're trying to achieve and what you can achieve and what mm-hmm. maybe your your purpose is. That, that What is it that you can do, not better than everyone else, but you can do quite well. And it actually matches what you happen to be doing. Mm-hmm. And you can then be interested in that theme and start to read about it. So a- absolutely, you can and you must learn from the failures. You must identify those failures um, maybe not at the time but in a revisionist way i i do dwell on them in a sporting context but i haven't played sport properly for 20 something years but i'm still miffed about certain things that you know didn't go my way I, I would just not let it drop um even now but in the business sense no because i'm, I'm self-preservation is because of my accident i don't i i, I preserve myself from that sort of stress where if I don't achieve something it's going to cause it, it, it won't do but I thought maybe at the time it might have caused the accident to happen again so um, I think it's it's important to um, to put things in perspective but but not to dwell uh, it, it, not to dwell so that you're not then looking forward and you're not then just focusing on what you can control But uh, on the whole, you're much better off reflecting and learning. For me, reflecting and learning on what didn't go the way that you wanted to. Otherwise, you're putting the wool over your own eyes um, and starting to um, write your own narrative rather than listening to what other people are, are saying in the direction of travel. So I'm a believer.
1: Thank you, Chris, for being so honest and sharing your story today. We dived in a lot about your past and you just mentioned being able to move forward so what else is it that you're currently working on or in the future that you want to share
2: yeah my daughter's doing a GCSEs uh, two other daughters and uh, um, that's a big part of our lives Um, professionally I need to um, I need to be able to look back on my career and make a success of what I'm currently doing so everything to date has pointed towards this opportunity that I and I have if I cock it up then I'm going to have a hard time explaining to myself in 5 years 10 years time I made the most of the opportunities that I was given through my upbringing so there's a lot of pressure that I'm putting on myself to make a success of what we're doing here now what success looks like is tempered by um what i can what i've been through uh, and also what is realistic i don't want to set goals that are uh, unobtainable i don't want to set goals that are unrealistic but i want to set stretch targets and i want to be ambitious and i want it to be fun i want it to grow i want to be able to point to individuals who have uh, made a success of their career here and they've been here for um, a length of time uh, uh, that they can then pass it on to other people. So I want to see that succession. I want to see that um, that growth um that I've helped to create a platform where that mm-hmm. can happen. That that to me would be success. But that has to be headcount growth, it has to be revenue growth, it has mm-hmm. to be doing the exciting deals, working on matters that people have heard of the PR, um the inclusion, the diversity women in leadership all of, all of that is an uh, important part of what we are but those are just words you've got to be able to actually deliver that something tangible so that is uh, the direction of travel watch this space
1: very exciting well I will be cheering you on on the sideline <laughs> and also as a failure hypothesis alumni <laughs> thank you once again for joining the show and thank you to all our listeners
2: thank you very much
1: You've been listening to The Failure Hypothesis with me, Vivian Chan. To hear other inspiring stories from unique leaders, please subscribe to The Failure Hypothesis on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: A few months after Chris's interview with Vivian, the failure hypothesis caught up with him again, fresh off a major win at the British Legal Awards. So, um, as regular listeners to the show will know, we love to catch up with our alumni, particularly at high points, as we did with the um, formidable Jamie Morton in New York. And today we are here with our latest guest, Chris Hitchens, the managing partner of Catton UK. Um, after a particular high point a few days ago, Chris um, led his team to a major win at the British Legal Awards. So first of all, can you tell us a bit about what you won and, and the night? Delighted to, yes. We won the Transatlantic Firm of the Year uh,
2: at the British Legal Awards, which uh, was the only category that we Put a submission into. Um, 100% success. 100%
0: success. Strike rate one out of one. And possibly my favourite ocean as well. So there you congratulations go. doubly. You. Yes. Um,
2: it was Somebody had said to us that you don't win the first time you put in a submission. They, they like to uh, keep you hanging on for a couple of years. So uh, yeah, um, delighted to win that.
0: Well ahead of schedule. <laughs> so in your episode with Vivian, you talked a lot about building the right culture and how mm-hmm. there have been a moment where you presided over a culture that wasn't you know in accordance with Uh what you'd wanted to build to what extent do you credit this win with your hopefully success in, in building the right culture
2: it's hard to say um i think we i think i talked about um a revisionist narrative and looking back at things and and how they made sense I don't know how the judges decided, and it may simply be that we were a new name, and um, they wanted to give us some recognition because of that. Who knows? But I, I'm going to take it. Um, well, it's typically, a,
0: typically, <laughs> typically, modest of you, Chris. So, you know, as a, as an agency, uh, we at Malergy do a lot of work with venture capital funds, professional services firms, and we know how hard everybody chases these type of wins. You know, they make your investors happy, demonstrate mm-hmm. progress, build buzz, give you something to talk about. What do you personally see as the role of kind of awards? Are they nice to have, good morale booster, or do you really see them as major milestones in meeting your commercial objectives?
2: Uh, I think they are very important because it's recognition by peers. It gives you the brand PR Alongside other firm names that you want to be thought alongside of. So if you're not there, uh, I suppose it does ask a few questions. So for somebody who's trying to make a name in, in the market, then, then I think it's, it's critical that you do get that level of recognition. Um, and then you can use that PR to your advantage. So the submission that we made talked about two things. It talked about our transatlantic work because that was the category Uh, but it also talked about our culture and on the night they when they announced uh, and the winner the winner is a firm who has done all of these big deals and we thought it's not it's not us (laughs) can't be us on that basis um but it, it was but they didn't mention our culture but in the written submission they they say and here is a firm that is looking to do something um Difference from a people perspective.
0: Is there, is there, um, bit, but you know, in the theme of modesty, is there, you know, as well, obviously, we talk about imposter syndrome in the day to day. Is there an awards version of that where you, you think, well, oh, do we actually deserve this? Yeah. You know, is it just luck? Or do you sort of allow yourself that pat on the back?
2: Uh, the latter, uh, it, definitely an imposter syndrome because um, we are, um, we're on a, we're building something, and um, we had sort of set ourselves internally the, the target of, of winning an award like this in sort of two, three years' time. So um, and we haven't achieved the things that we want to achieve in that two, three years. So, so, the, the, so that's the imposter element is, well, if you're getting recognition now, then um, let's redefine our goals for the future, what recognition we want for that. Um, but absolutely, it's testament to, to the work of all of the
0: people here. And how, In terms of how you, you feel about it, or and your colleagues feel about it, I'm sure you speak a lot, is it, how does it compare, and it may be comparing apples to oranges, a big client win, a promotion, winning the award, are they all much of a muchness, or do they, have, do they hit differently?
2: Um, I, big client win, getting in new work, building something sustainable is critical, and you can feel when when those things happen, you feel that there, there is a there is a difference you feel that you're on the path and you're building and it's um, it, it's all going in the right direction. this was just a it was like a punching the air moment it was just mm. no way <laughs> which which is brilliant but it's um
0: it's it, it's, it's not the it's not the be all and end all from the, um, where we need to be as an organisation. Oh, and when you talk about you know because I mean everyone sets objectives. It's rare the business that's going to meet every single one of them because they're that easy to meet. Why are you, why are they your mm-hmm. objectives, right? Mm-hmm. But do you think that winning an award like this alters success perceptions of success and failure amongst potential clients and rivals, or is it just part of the everyday you know hustle and bustle of business?
2: No, I think it's extremely important that as uh, our journey is to, um, and where we want to get to, involves name recognition, brand uh, elevation and PR along the way. So, so this is all hugely intertwined as part of that. So if we hadn't have won this award, we would be looking for next year to see well, what award categories uh, might we be eligible for in order to get that name recognition so this this is an important stepping stone
0: to to continue us on that path. well clearly the key to winning awards is appearing on the show so i'm sure absolutely happy to welcome (laughs) on some of your colleagues i just wondered lastly are there any um it's a couple of months since you you did the episode and obviously Mm -hmm. it's been a very fruitful few months for you which probably haven't had any new failures but i just wanted to wondered if you had any reflections now that a couple of months have passed since you did the episode with Vivian, and you were so open about about your well, what you've perceived as certain failures in your career. Um, it's um,
2: it is very difficult to continue to communicate ideas and make sense of events that happen within an organisation to the people who are here. Um, to be able to link it back to that strong culture that's, um, that I talked about before, so
0: it is culture still the key.
2: Culture is still the key. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay.
0: Well, Chris, that's um, that's great to catch up with you. Congratulations again on 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 such a great award from such a great ocean. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Um, and um, we'll be following you as uh, an alumni. So thank you once again. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to The Failure Hypothesis, a Maledro Digital production. To find out more about making
1: and appearing in business content with interest, visit our website at meledrodigital.com.